Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. My guest today is Trina Rilkoff. We talk about her participation in a remarkable project, 106 co-authors from 27 countries share their insights in the book, Grief and Fatigue, Families and the Pandemic, Stories of Struggle and Hope, with proceeds from sales supporting Ukrainian refugees. Trina's work as a trauma-informed conflict management and resiliency specialist provides the foundation for her chapter. One notable tool is her SRSR. Listen to our conversation to find out what that's all about. Hello, Trina, and thank you for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the invite. Well, I think this is going to be very interesting. And of course, there is one particularly interesting piece of your work I want to talk about, and that is this incredible book. Before we get to that, tell us how you came to be doing the kind of work you're doing today. Um, well, I have a passion for passion and a belief of uh, humans' resiliency. Mm-hmm. And the story and the visual of my own experience, personal experiences, but also helping others find their inner strengths to overcome adversity, trauma, and conflict has been a lifelong journey. So my background is actually in um, clinical mental health social worker and behavioral consultant, but I think my um, really accepting people's differences and focusing on their strengths starts when I was actually in a grade 11, 12, and through my university years where I worked as a psychiatric nurse's aide in a psychiatric institution. Interesting. And were you aware at that time of the impact it was having on you, or was that something you learned about looking back? No, it's in a it's in a reflection of looking back. It's through that experience, and when I started my career after um, university, working in schools in mental health as a behavioral consultant and a counselor, and helping kids, high risk kids, had the label put on them that they were the behavioral kid, the violent kid, unstable home life, and helping those both. Children, youth starting as young as kindergarten up to the age of uh, 19 recognize that some of their um, inappropriate behaviors could be changed to appropriate behaviors. We just had to redefine the resilient strengths of what they were doing. I'm hearing a thread already, which is a resistance on your part to accept labels that hurt people. Yes. Yes, because none of us can change our past. That's the thing, no matter how hard or how much we want it, none of us can change our past. And we have today, the present, 
and the power to influence and make the choices for our future. I think that's very interesting. And also, I'm hearing an emphasis on changing behavior, which is not the same as we're going to change your personality, we're going to change your inner anything, but we can control our behavior somewhat. It is when you look from, I have two kids that are now adult. And when I used to counsel and my kids were counseled throughout their whole life, of course, <laughs> looking at, you know what, it's telling, you know, when you have your own kids or family or even a partner as an adult, you know what, I love you, but I do not like your behavior right now, or I cannot accept that behavior right now. We need to address it. Yeah. Excellent. So it started out with this, this experience very young in life when you were yeah. a teenager and then Immediately after university, then you started in on this path with the schoolwork. Yep. And it, well, the path actually was an adventure of resiliency when you kind of take chances when you don't know the outcomes, right? So True. resiliency also to me represents you don't know what the future holds, but if you don't take that chance and know you have the skill sets, the belief, the courage to try you might be missing out on a lot. So when I graduated university, me and a girlfriend just kind of packed up our bags, finished our summer job at the psychiatric institution. I lived in Manitoba, Canada at the time in Winnipeg. And we just packed up a bag and took a pillow and started driving west with no destination in mind. Wow. And that's kind of where my life's journey of living in five provinces and traveling around the world kind of originates. Oh, fantastic. Well, I have to ask, do you think that this traveling through your life has affected your interest in resiliency? I don't think it's affected. I think it's influenced because it's allowed me the opportunities to work and live in urban centers, like over a million population centers where I am now, in small cities, 20, 30, 40,000, in small towns, like population 2,500 on the ocean, in the lakes, worked in northern communities, on reserve indigenous lands. So it's allowed me opportunities to see the environmental contexts and how the environment does impact us. And it does provide us a different lens when you have more lived experiences. Sure, sure. So tell us what came next. You went on this journey with your friend and then where do things go from there? That's a lifetime a lifetime. It's um basically my background of mental health also incorporates um working in corrections. Uh-huh. Working as a correctional officer as and as a parole officer. So supervision of um federally incarcerated offenders. Mm-hmm. So when you're working with, you know, high risk, whether it be youth or adults, you're working with people who've gone through a lot of trauma. Yes and have had a lot of difficulties, conflict. And sometimes when you're, you know, you're working with them, hearing their story, it's helping them pull out again, what are their strengths? What are their beliefs? What are their values? What do they have the ability to do that they didn't recognize or nobody else helped guide them? I would imagine that's especially important if someone is going to be released on parole at some point, as most people are, that they find themselves in a stronger position to live their lives in a I think the word was more appropriate way. Yeah, in a pro-social way, right? Mm -hmm. Contribute to society. Good for everyone. So are you still involved in that kind of work now or is it something else? Something else. Something else. I have my own business now. And I know you have an interest still, though, in trauma and resilience. And how do you put that into practice these days? 
Um, well, one of the avenues is I provide workshops internationally on becoming trauma-informed. So what trauma is, trauma responses, how do you incorporate a trauma framework into your policies, procedures, strategy for your business organization? But then I also incorporate what I think is really a value is learning how to understand your own trauma responses. Because mm. when you understand your own trauma responses that are triggered by environment or different actions or smells or sensory, you're more able to then understand when somebody else might be having a trauma response and then have skills and tools of how to ground yourself to allow yourself or that other person who you're working with or having an interview, potential mediation, because conflict resolution is one of my other lenses that I do, is to provide somebody the self-determination and allow themselves to come back to the present and carry on. Just because I don't have a great specialty in the world of trauma, it seems to me, though, as an outsider looking in somewhat, that this is an area that has received more attention in recent years, a better understanding of how that is going to affect so many of us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, well, if we just look at COVID, yes. COVID is a worldwide trauma. Mm -hmm. And how individually and organizationally people are coping with it varies. Sure. So kind of like to understand the impact of trauma and that the resiliency component, COVID every, everywhere was shut down when it yes. first came out, right? And that fear. So the whole world's been living in a hypervigilant state yeah. at the beginning. So we're just, you know, coming out, but it doesn't mean that experience and that hypervigilance is gone. Right. right. And COVID's like a death. How we used to live before no longer exists. And we have to recognize it, name it, grieve it, but then look at the resiliency of, you know, it's been three years now what and how did you cope to get to where you are today? What are your resilient traits, personal, professional, organizational? How did you cope? How was your method of coping, your community, your own innate traits? How were those retrieved based on your past experiences of living? And that's all based on, you know, personal, professional, and your age. So yeah. when you look at the young the youth right now and how they're coping, where did they get some of the resiliency from their early years, the 17-year-old mm -hmm. and what they've dealt with when they were younger versus somebody who might be 50 and 60? Well, as you say, it has affected all of us, whether we are realizing that today or not. It's very clear. This seems like a good time for me to ask you about this book project that you've been involved in. I'm excited to share it because it's something I'm really proud of. And proud in the sense that it's done from a place of heart and integrity with nothing in return for myself except helping others. Mm -hmm. Michael Lang, who is in the United Kingdom, contacted me and asked me if I wanted to be a part of a book of co-authors to contribute a chapter. And I jumped on it right away because I thought it was a great idea because the topic was all about grief and fatigue families and the pandemic, stories of struggle and hope. And so what this book is about is 106 co-authors around the world, 27 countries were involved. It has been translated into 12 languages so far. And the outcome is all the proceeds, whether you buy a hard copy or Kindle, go to the Ukraine. Fantastic. 
And my chapter, because my true belief in our power of resiliency is all about resiliency, creating um, the six tools for building the conflict-resilient family. So Trina, tell us about your contribution and how you put this together to be an important piece of this overall book. Well, when we look at conflict resiliency, conflict is inevitable, right? right? Again, it's like COVID. Worldwide, we can't avoid conflict. But what we can do with conflict, conflict is we can become curious. So change that lens of how when conflict shows up from a fear base to a curious base. And when you're curious in how to address conflict, then you kind of self-reflect on how have I gotten through past conflict, adversity, and trauma before? Okay. And the key with that, I kind of dubbed it instead of SOS, it's SRSR, self-reflection strengthens resiliency. SRSR. Oh, that's great. I'll ask you to say that one again. Yeah. SRSR instead of SOS, self-reflection strengthens resiliency. Great. So when we're looking at just the process of conflict, we've all gone through conflict, adversity, and trauma before, but how did you get through it? And if you can't name your resilient traits or describe how you got through it, what it felt like, what it looked like, what the outcome was, and what did you learn, how do you recall and pull out all those strengths the next time you need it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's like, how do you create that toolbox? Your toolbox of conflict resiliency. So within the chapter that I created... It's actually six tools because I'm I'm the kind of person that if I go to a conference um, or any training, I want to be able to walk away with tools that I can immediately apply and then I can maybe teach and share somebody. Okay. And the idea of the chapter was to give tools that parents could teach their kids on how to recognize their own resiliency, but the parents are also recognizing and learning about their own resiliency And then whether it's a parent sharing it with another parent, their partner, a family member, or the kids, the youth, sharing with others how to recognize their resiliency to cope. So Trina, was this a set of tools that you created for this chapter, or were they already a part of your practice? They were a part of my practice, but they're integrated specifically for this chapter. Okay. So um, I'm just looking at the chapter now, and it was like, you know, everybody says, when you've gone through a hard time, your self-talk influences your resiliency or your ability to move forward, whether you're going to flourish or flounder. Right. So it's like, do you have a mantra? When it's really tough, do you have a mantra? What is your self-talk? So it's like for parents and with COVID, with kids at home and they lost families, their ability to cope with conflict and be exposed to it has been stunted. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So that then creates fear, anxiety. Right. So we want to help all ages have a mantra that when they're experiencing that fear based conflict, what can they say to themselves that they know they'll be able to address it and manage it and confront it? So it's like a parent telling a child or a youth, I believe in your or my capacity to overcome, overcome whatever that might be right? You matter to me because you are more resilient because I see your perseverance when you did X, Y, and Z. Very specific then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Because that's how we learn. So coming from the behavioral consultant, 
kind of background. Again, when we're learning, we can all learn skills, but it doesn't mean we understand how to apply those skills into every environmental context needed. So when you have the skills, but you don't know what that looks like, feels like in the environment you need, you still have a performance deficit. Mm -hmm. So that's where when you're looking personally, professionally, or even organizationally, it's you can put people through training, but we still need to understand what does that look like, feel like. And that's where as humans, we assume everybody knows how to integrate that into the environmental context required. A big assumption. Yes. (laughs) And not necessarily a wise one either. No, but it's human, right? Human is quickly to go to the negative and assume because you took a course or some skills, you know how to apply it. So give us an overview of the tools, if you would. Sure. So tool one is change your lens on how you view the conflict. So how I like to break that down is, is the conflict or what's presented in front of you, is it a barrier? Is it an obstacle or is it a challenge? So a barrier is like climbing Mount Everest. Okay. You need a specific skill set, training, and equipment to be successful. So when there's a barrier, you need to go and educate and learn a few more skills to address that barrier. Mm-hmm. If it's an obstacle, it means you have the skills, but just like an obstacle, you can go, like I'm thinking an obstacle race, right? Right. The You can go above it, you can go under it, you can go around it. So you have to do a cost-benefit analysis to decide which is the best way to address this obstacle based on your skills and training. Is it a challenge? That's then when we look at the rules, procedures, policies, instruction manuals of, are they maybe outdated? Okay. What, What is missing? Because with COVID, a lot has changed now. And when we're kind of looking at the policy procedure, what is the challenge? We're looking at resiliency, the topic of conflict. What's going on in the world right now is how we're creating psychological health and safety in our workplaces. Yes. Mm -hmm. And psychological safety from the perspective of what is psychological protection when you go to work? What does that look like, feel like regarding the topic of COVID? So here in Canada, we have the Canadian National Standards of Psychological Health and Safety that have been integrated into the Occupational Health and Safety Policy Legislation Labor Code Law. Mm -hmm. Our national standards have now been incorporated into the ISO standards of the world for occupational health and safety, Mm -hmm. workplace violence. And what's kind of exciting is that the Geneva Convention has adopted the Canadian national standards. That is. And the World Health Organization just this past 2022 has created a framework regarding what is psychological health and safety, mental health in the workplace. Hmm. The U.S. has jumped on board. And just before 2023, the Surgeon General just released their framework on what is mental health and psychological safety in the workplace. Very good. So when we're looking at how are we trying to create this, Mm -hmm. it's coming from our resiliency. Yes. Okay. I guess that's both the first tool and some other information. Yeah, that's the first tool. tool. Yeah. The second tool is just having that resilient attitude and mindset. Mm-hmm. When you're overwhelmed, right? What do you tell yourself? Creating that mantra. That mantra, the yes. The power of gratitude. So a lot of people, you know, overlook the power of gratitude. Gratitude, whether you receive it or give it, actually helps start producing the dopamine and serotonin in our body, mm-hmm. the happy hormones. Yes. So when you give gratitude, 
you feel better as well. You're not just saying it and cognitively, your body feels it because the hormones are coming out. So a practice I like to encourage is before you go to bed, name 10 things you're grateful for. First thing you wake up in the morning, name 10 things you're grateful for. And they don't have to be huge. It could be, I'm grateful I woke up and I was able to look outside and see the stars. Yes. Tool number three is the SRSR, self-reflection strengthens resiliency. Love that. So it's kind of looking at being able to recover from how did, as of today, if you self-reflected, how did you help, you know, your kids when we're looking at the book, overcome the difficulties regarding homeschooling? Yes. Online learning. How did you help them cope and learn from the setbacks? Couldn't go out with their friends. The maybe different learning styles, learning disabilities that the kids didn't have the supports they would have had in school. Right. How did you learn from those setbacks and recognize you got through them? Hmm. Let's look at some of the traumas. Right. How have you dealt with the trauma of COVID? Some families have lost people or some people have experienced the COVID and long term trauma after effects. Right. Right. Another old one and a good one, but a lot of people don't recognize for that self-reflection strengthens resiliency is just journaling Uh or what happened to when we're all locked up, writing that old fashioned letter to somebody. Yes. So exciting to get something written by hand in the mail. Yeah. Like it's like, it's, it's better than a card. I can say, I still have letters from my grandma that we used to write each other when I was in high school and university. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And then tool number five was the universal tool. Um, for all ages that you can do anywhere at any time. And that's the practice of breath work. Yes. Because what we don't recognize is when we experience conflict, trauma, or adversity, we stop breathing. Yeah. We automatically stop breathing. And even though it might sound like the simplest tool to learn, it's the hardest one to master <laughs> because you have to master it before you need it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that. Mastering it before you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then doing it properly. Everybody thinks breathing is easy, but there are a few different techniques. So it's learning which technique resonates and helps you the most. So simple and so important. So inexpensive, all these good things. And yet not as simple to do well. It's the hardest one to master. Mm -hmm. So interesting. And then the sixth tool I created through um, where I had my training in resiliency. So It's interesting how resiliency has come back as a theme right now, but I was trained in resiliency over 25 years ago by Nan Henderson down in California. So resiliency is a lot more than just eat well, sleep well, and have a community. And this is where I learned about how we do have innate traits and how to discover your innate traits. And so what was created and shared in the book is a T-chart of conflict resiliency. So it's kind of helping parents and, you know, you can, Switch it up to as an adult, too, as a team builder as well. Hiring practice that you you name the problem and the challenge, and then you name the strength and the supports beside that problem and challenge that you're aware of. And so it could be something like your child had difficulties focusing online. Okay. They're having the difficulties, but what was their strength? What was something that you could reaffirm to them that was positive? was that they were still helping their other younger siblings online. Mm -hmm. So their learning style was they could teach it and help support, but their learning style was the obstacle. 
because it yes. was all online where they learn better in person. Mm-hmm. And then how did your child or youth cope with that? Well, they would make jokes or tell a funny story. Their humor is what helped them cope through this difficulty. And helping them see it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. You have to you have to help others name their identified resilient strengths. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't see them in ourselves. I can see that, ironically, as I phrase it. But the idea of it's part of me, but I don't recognize it. I don't see it. It's so, of course, it's innate. That's always been me. I never thought that was anything I had to focus on or celebrate in any way. Right. And then that's how you strengthen it, right? Because you got to be able to name it. So if you look at, we take this tool within the corporate world, within the workplace, and you're at a meeting, whether it's on Zoom or in person, and at the end of the meeting, it's always that round table around the desk. Does anybody have anything to say and offer? And yes. usually it's silence, right? Well, how about we flip that script and go around the table and everybody shares a resilient strength or gives a compliment or some gratitude to somebody else at the table? That's great. That is a wonderful flip. Love that. What I also have enjoyed, Trina, is hearing how practical these ideas are. That's that, you know, the KISS method. Yes. Keep it super simple because... You want to be able to apply it. You want to be able to understand it. You want to be able to teach it to somebody else mm-hmm. yeah. and teach it in a common language that no matter where you are, it's transferable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, this has been very interesting, and I'm delighted to have an opportunity to learn a little bit more about this book and, of course, about your contribution to it and your work beyond that. Tell us, if you would, where people can learn about your work, find out about the book. Um, well, you can find me, Trina Rilkoff, on LinkedIn, or my website is www.tlrsolutionsforconflict. And the key is the solutions for conflict. It's the number four in the middle of the name. Oh, very good. And you can order the book on Amazon, Kindle or hard copy. And what a request I put out to all your listeners as a way of us all, as of today, being a part of creating intergenerational conflict and trauma resiliency, is buy a book and gift one, share one, donate it to a school, a family, a community club, church, to help support the Ukraine, but just help support everybody going and dealing with conflict and COVID. Wonderful. I love the idea. Well, thank you so much, Trina, for talking with me today. It has been very insightful. Thank you, Jane, very much for having me. Of course. And I will put that good information in the show notes so everyone can find it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please tell a friend, share it, leave a rating or review. When you spread the word, more people have a chance to enjoy the show. You can also sign up for new weekly episodes on your favorite app. Whatever setting works best for you and is free. You don't need to pay to listen. You can also find the show at CraftingSolutionsToConflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane Bettle.